Morning, everyone. Um, so we are in a series at the moment looking at health, uh, which is a subject which is quite close to my heart, really. It's something that I'm particularly passionate about. Um, and we've had some wonderful messages so far. Um, Steph brought a great message on a healthy prayer life. Um, Sarah spoke last week about healthy, reckless love. Um, please go back and listen to those online um, because they're wonderful messages uh, full of truth for you to listen to. Um, and this morning, I've been given the topic of preaching on healthy Bible reading. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, which is something that I'm particularly passionate about. But it's always a funny one, isn't it, Bible reading? Because no matter how long you've been a Christian for, or even if you're a Christian at all, everyone knows what the Bible is, really. Everyone's got ideas about what the Bible is. Um, and depending where we're at on our walk with God, um, we can be at different places with the Bible at different times as well. So what I want to do, what my heart is this morning, is to um, encourage us to kind of move forward with our Bible reading, wherever we may be, to kind of take that step towards becoming even healthier in our Bible reading, whether that's for the first time or whether that's you know, just encouraging you to go even deeper today. That's what I want to do. Um, and I've got two kind of disclaimers this morning, really, before I start. Um, the first, I feel the need to say I have no formal theological training. <laughs> I have not been to Bible college. I don't have a degree in theology. Um, but I've been reading my Bible for a long time. Um, I've read it cover to cover quite a few times. And I do love studying the Bible and studying the Word. Um, so hopefully that qualifies me enough this morning to speak on this. Um, the second disclaimer is that for me, this... This message, what I'm going to say today, still feels a little bit clunky to me. I feel like God's given me certain things to speak on, certain messages to convey to you. Um, it just doesn't feel so neatly wrapped up as I would like it to. But I've chosen to still be obedient to say what God wants me to say this morning. So please do bear with me um, as we go through. So... As um, I think it was Steph that mentioned in her preach, as we um, choose to make healthy habits and as, as we want to involve things in our lives, like prayer, like reading the Bible, really it's all about the why. We have to understand the why. We have to know why something is good for us in order for us to choose to make it a regular part of our life. Um, and that's what I'm going to spend most of the time talking about today, why we should read the Bible. But before we get there, I wanted to start with the what. I don't want to assume this morning that we all have the same level of knowledge or that we all have any knowledge of the Bible, in fact. Um, if you've never picked up your Bible and read it, um, or if you've not read your Bible for a long time, or if the Bible intimidates you, if you are worried about reading the Bible or you feel like it's something that you're not particularly good at, I want us all to go on this journey together this morning. So we're starting from scratch. We're all going together. We're going to do a very brief whistle-stop tour of the Bible to begin with. Is that all right? Good, because we're doing it anyway. Um, so the Bible is a book good place to start, isn't it? It is a book. And if I can have the graphic on the screen, please. Um, it is a book made up of lots of smaller books, lots of little books written by different authors. It's split into the New Testament, sorry, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have 39 books in the Old Testament and we have, by doing some quick maths, 27 in the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament starts with the book of Genesis, talking about the creation story. And the first five books of the Bible, this is a very 
whistle stop tour, please forgive me. The first five books of the Bible are the books of the law where God sets out his standard. What we need to do in order to meet his standard and to live um, correctly and to live in relationship with him. Um, The next chunk of the Bible is the history books from Joshua through to Esther. This follows the journey of God's people, um, where they physically move to, the leaders that they appoint, um, the battles that they face. It's a historical account of God's people and what happened to them. Then we've got the poetry books, um, which are writings of worship and and songs. This is where we find the book of Psalms and Ecclesiastes. Um, And then we've got the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And this is where God speaks to individual people to get them to convey a message to his people. Um, And spoiler alert, the message is normally, turn from your wicked ways and come back to me. It's usually that people have gone off track and aren't following him. And God uses these prophets to speak to them and try and bring them and call them back to him. So that's the Old Testament, which finishes 400 years before Jesus was born. Then we move into the New Testament and we uh, start with the Gospels, with Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which are four different accounts of the life of Jesus. We read about the birth of Jesus, um, his life, his ministry, his miracles, um, his death and his resurrection um, in uh, in those four books. And if you've never read the Bible before, I would really encourage you that the Gospels, these four books are a great place to start. Um, Then we move on to the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, um, which um, tells us about the ascension of Jesus into heaven, um, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we learn about the start of the early church, how the disciples and apostles then formed the early church. Uh, We meet a guy called Paul, who was a Christian hater, number one Christian hater, who met God, had his life transformed, and became number one Christian fan of a really big Christian himself Um, and the rest or the majority of the New Testament then is his letters to the different churches different individuals encouraging them inspiring them teaching them and bringing correction where that's needed um, but teaching them and encouraging them in their faith and to spread the good news of Jesus Then we finish with some books by different individual authors, uh, letters to different people, uh, different churches to encourage them. And then we finish with the book of Revelation, which is John's vision about Jesus and his victory and how um, he is returning in the future and a new heaven and new earth and lots of weird and wonderful visions that um, you should really read for yourself. So that is a very brief whistle-stop tour of the Bible. Thank you. There is a lot in there (laughs) from the beginning of time to the end of the world. It's all documented within the pages of the Bible and it is such an important book. But what I want to get across this morning is that it is so much more than just a book. The Bible is so much more than just a history book um, or just a book um, of you know, a self-help book or um, a book of good advice or a rule book. It is so much more than that. And as Christians, as people of faith, we have to believe that the Bible is the living word of God. It is God's word communicated directly to us. What a gift it truly is to have that written down in black and white or red, depending on some of your Bibles. Um, What a gift it is to have um, God's word in our lives. Um, So the word of God, it's living, it's alive. If I can share with you Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, it says... 
For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This scripture says the word of God is alive and active. What, what does that even mean? Like the, the Bible's a book, right? So it's, it's made of paper. It's not alive. It's not breathing and reproducing and responding and whatever the four things are that you have to do to be alive. The Bible physically is a book. That doesn't do that. But the word of God, the words within it, its message, its meaning, its teachings, its instructions are alive and active and work in your life to bring transformation. They have an effect. They are at work to those who read it. And it describes it here as being sharper than any double-edged sword. That gives us the image um, of the word of God, of, of the Bible being like a weapon that we can use. Maybe something we can use um, offensively. You know, if we are wanting breakthrough or want to see change in a situation, we can use the word of God as a weapon. We can also use it to defend ourselves. Um, maybe, you know, if we're feeling under attack, we can use the word of God uh, to defend ourselves. But it says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Uh, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And this also gives me, it's a bit gruesome maybe, but it gives me this image of like a surgical scalpel, like this really precise and accurate blade that we can, we can trust when the word of God is at work in our life. That it's not sloppy, it's not messy, it gets to exactly where we need it to get to work. It's accurate, it's precise. It is such a good tool. So the word of God is alive, it's active, it's a tool that we can use, and it is the living word of God. It is alive. Um, but this phrase, living word of God, it's something that we can actually apply to, to something else or to someone else. Um, the living word of God also applies to Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is John writing about Jesus, explaining who Jesus is. And he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the one who took on the form of word into a physical form. And the word here in this, uh, this passage, it's the word logos, is the, the translation logos, logos, which means the message of God. Jesus is the message of God. Everything that God wants to communicate to us is in Jesus. Everything that God wants to communicate to us. And the Bible is all about Jesus. Jesus is the message of God and the Bible is all about Jesus. He might not be in every page of the Bible. He might not even be named in every book of the Bible, but it all points to him. It's all about him. The Old Testament, everything that we uh, read about life before Jesus, it all points to him. So if we have a desire to know Jesus, and as Christians, that, that's what it's all about, right? As Christians, it's a desire to know Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus. We're so grateful for the salvation that Jesus gives us. It's all about relationship with Jesus. If that's what we desire, if that's what we're after, then we have to read our Bible because the Bible is all about him. Without the Bible, we, need, we miss out on so much 
of what his nature is, of the nature of Jesus, of the importance of Jesus, of the significance of Jesus. Everything in it points to him and is fulfilled in him. The Bible tells us of what life was like before Jesus and what he has saved us from. It tells us about his life, his miracles, his death, his resurrection and our salvation. It tells us of how we can relate to Jesus as King and Lord and Saviour, but also how we can trust him as a friend and how he is a servant. The Bible tells us all about Jesus and we get to read his words directly. We get to read his words and that's what we're going to do now. We're going to spend just the next little chunk of time reading some of the words of Jesus and seeing what we can glean from that. Um, So to do that, I've got John chapter 4 verses 19 to 24. And just to give you a little bit of context, this is um, the story of Jesus uh, meeting a Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus was a Jew. The Samaritan woman was obviously a Samaritan. Um, And the the two kind of cultures were were, were clashing. It wasn't very socially acceptable um, for Samaritans to um, be seen with Jews, but they were. Um, And the, the account goes that Jesus was thirsty, she gave him a drink, he tells her about eternal life and living water, um, and he tells her things about her own life that she that shouldn't, well, that he shouldn't really know. He tells her the fact that she's had five husbands, which is something that she would have wanted to keep to herself, really, so she shouldn't, he wouldn't have necessarily known about that. And she has this bit of revelation that there's something special about Jesus. She might not fully clock on that he's the son of God, but she kind of gets this understanding there's something special about this guy. And this is where we pick up the scripture. So it says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. That's what she thinks Jesus is. She thinks he is a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she has this opportunity. She knows that she's talking to this really wise person or this prophet. And she decides to bring up this age-old issue Um, that the Samaritans have, which is, where is the correct place for me to go and worship God? The Jews say it's this place. We say it's this place. There's a debate going on. Where is the right place? Where is the location where it is acceptable for me to worship God? And Jesus replies, woman, Jesus replied, and I like to try and raise that a bit soft, woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. If we can go on. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So he responds to this woman by saying, you know, she's after a location. She's after where is the right place for me to worship God? And he doesn't give her that. He gives her this response instead that actually when you want to worship God, it's about worshipping in spirit and in truth alone. And you might think, why am I talking about worship in a message about the Bible? We'll get there. Uh, but please do bear with me for a moment. We know, right, that when we worship God, that it is not um, it is not just about the 20, 25 minutes when we come together on a Sunday morning and sing several songs in a row like we've just done. That is our corporate worship, and that is important, and that is vital, and it is so good that we have the opportunity and the freedom to be able to do that. 
But that is not the be-all and end-all of worship. Our worship is our lifestyle, right? It's anything that we do, any opportunity that we take, any thought that we have that brings glory to God. That is worship. We were created to worship. That's, that's what we were supposed to be doing with our lives. That's who God created us to be, to be worshippers of him. And Jesus gives us this revelation here that the only two things that we need in order to worship God with our lives, the only two things we need to be true worshippers of God are spirit and truth. We need to have spirit and truth. And this word spirit um, from this passage, it means the highest form of yourself. It means the part separate to your physical body, the part of you that is able to have a relationship with God. The part of you that is able to make connection with God. That's what your spirit is. And the word truth here, um, the word truth means being in line and in harmony with the will and the instruction of God. We need both of those things to live our lives in worship. We need spirit. We need connection to God. But we also need truth. We need to know what his will and his instruction is. And that, for me, is where the Bible comes in, where the word of God comes in. And I think it's such a healthy way. You know, Jesus was a wise guy, wasn't he? It's such a healthy way of thinking about our lives, is thinking about having this balance, this pairing of spirit and truth. If you think about it, if we kind of sway too far in any one direction, if we go focused on the truth, focused on the word of God, If we miss out the spirit and we focus solely on the truth, then we can become religious. We can become rule followers. We can become people who don't experience the the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that is the spirit that we learned about over the summer. Um, We miss all of that out of our lives when we focus purely on truth. Whereas if we shift the other direction and we focus more on the spirit and maybe leave the truth behind, then we risk becoming experience-based and feelings-based in our relationship with God. We can have a bit of a pick-and-mix approach to what we want, the elements of God that we want to um, stick to and we want to cling to, and maybe we can leave behind or not even be aware of some of the elements of God's nature and God's character where he maybe wants to bring change and growth in our lives. So we need the two. We need that matching of spirit and truth to make sure that we are outworking and we are living as God created us and intended us to do. And that's what the Bible brings us. The Bible brings us that truth. It brings us that foundation. It brings us that grounding. And I think we, well, humans always need truth, right? But I think in particular in today's kind of society and our culture, um, truth is a big deal right now, isn't it? I think um, with everyone, well, not everyone, but lots of people have a platform. Social media, the news, newspapers, TV, YouTube, everything. Lots of people have a platform to tell you what truth is. Celebrities, politicians, activists, there's lots of people claiming truth out there. And I'm not saying that all of it's bad, it's not. But what tends to be true in our society is whatever's kind of culturally acceptable and appropriate at the time. And that can change depending on where about in culture you are. What we need to do is we we need to look to the only source of 
unchangeable, unshakable, consistent and dependable truth. And that is the word of God. There is nothing else out there that we can build our lives on that isn't going to let us down. There's nothing else out there that isn't going to change and be as unshakable as the word of God. So we need it. We need that foundation in our lives. So hopefully you're feeling a little bit encouraged to read your Bible. You should read your Bible because it's a living word of God. You should read your Bible because it points you to Jesus. You should read your Bible because it is the rock on which you can build your life, the foundation on which you can build your life. Um, So hopefully you're feeling a little bit inspired to do that. So for the last portion of time that I've got with you this morning, I want to move on to how. How can you read your Bible? Practically, how can we do that? How can we grow in our Bible reading? Um, And to kind of give us a bit of a focus, I wanted to read to you Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, which says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. In this passage, the writer is kind of comparing people who are immature in God's truth as being people who still need milk, babies who still need milk and people who are more mature in their knowledge and understanding of the word of God as those who eat solid food. Kind of uses this analogy between milk and solid food. Milk and meat, I think it says in quite a few translations, but I'm aware we've got some vegetarians in the room. So we'll go for milk and solid food. But when you think about it, milk is is brilliant, right, for babies. Milk is maximum nutrition with like minimal effort isn't it it's carbohydrate fat protein whatever whatever, you know all those things that you need you don't even need to chew it you just digest it and it gives babies those really chubby legs which are absolutely amazing so milk is wonderful it's highly nutritious it's highly beneficial but it is natural and it is our design to move on from that at some point and to desire solid food we've not so distant, well, not so recently. No, we have recently, not in the so distant past. Yeah, not too long ago, we went through this process with our son Eli. So we've got a coming up to two year old. Um, so we've recently gone through that weaning process um, where he has moved on from being solely dependent on milk to solid foods and it is a messy process by all accounts I mean who knew that you actually had to learn to eat it's something that's so natural and so easy but it's something that has to be learned you actually have to teach yourself to eat Um, it's messy food goes everywhere on the floor there's a lot of gagging it's not pretty but you get through it and then you get to be on solid foods wonderful so what is this author meaning when he's saying that we should desire the solid food over milk what does that mean when it when we kind of translate that into our Bible reading. But when I've thought about it and kind of reflected on this scripture, I kind of feel like the the milk that he's talking about is maybe when we read our Bible, but somebody else has processed it for us first. So that might be um, 
you know, reading a, a devotion series or maybe reading Christian books um, or even, you know, maybe a, a, the Bible reading plans, devotions involved with that. It's wonderful and it's brilliant and it's truth. But somebody else has processed that first for you. What we should desire as we move on and as we mature in our Christian life is to add in solid food to that. I want to say and make this very clear that there is absolutely nothing wrong with devotions and preachers and um, Bible reading plans. Those are all really good and really healthy things. And just as when you become an adult, you don't stop drinking milk, you don't stop having that as a crucial part of your diet, you still need those things in your life as you mature as a Christian. Those things are great. I have milk every day for my breakfast. I read my devotion every day. Those things are still crucial. They're still needed. But rather than being solely dependent on those things, we should begin to have a desire to get the revelation and truth directly from the word of God for ourselves, for our spirit to connect with God and him to speak to us directly. And maybe that's where some of you might be at this morning, where maybe that's where the challenge could be for you to start to desire and start to work on gleaning from the word of God for yourself. And if that's where you're at, I want to give you just a couple of practical things to think about in your Bible reading to help you to do that. So if you're ready to move on to that solid food, if that's something that you want to explore, if you want to grow in how you read your Bible, if that's something that you already do, um, then these are kind of four things for you to consider doing. The first one is to read the Bible regularly. Um, it would be really nice if there was a shortcut, but there's no, way, there's no other way to read your Bible um, than to read your Bible. <laughs> you, you, have to, you have to spend time with it. You have to pick it up, whether that's the physical book, whether that's opening the app, whether that's, you know, we live in a, a time and age where we can listen to the Bible now. We can even watch parts of the Bible on YouTube and, you know, there's things like the chosen TV series, not necessarily substitutes for reading the word, but there's so many ways that we can get the word of God into our lives. We have to read it. We have to make it a part of our routine. We have to read it regularly. Charles Spurgeon says, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Li visit many good books, but live in the Bible. The Bible should be the place that we come back to, that we reside in, that we come back to again and again. That should be our home. That should be our starting place and our finishing place. So read the Bible regularly. The second thing, or my second suggestion, is to read the Bible prayerfully. And this was a huge game changer for me. Um, just taking a couple of moments before you read the Bible, just to prepare yourself just to remind yourself what you're about to read is the word of God. Just to tell God what it is that you need, to thank him for the gift of the Bible. When you prepare yourself, when you kind of prepare your heart to receive, you glean so much more. Um, the, you maybe pick out things that you would have just glanced over before because you weren't fully prepared. So as you read the Bible, engage your spirit with that. Pray, communicate with God, talk through with God what it is you're reading. My third suggestion is to read the Bible contextually. Um, and this is what I like doing. This is where you do a little bit of digging. So rather than just reading an individual verse or a little passage, maybe read around it, read the verses before it, read the verses after it. Go and look at it in a couple of different translations. 
Maybe access a commentary where you can find out the different meanings of the words. Or um, if it's a, a letter that someone's written, try and work out who's written it, who have they written it to, what's the circumstance, what's the situation of this passage of scripture being written. Because once we flesh it out, it becomes so much more real and tangible. Once we kind of put a bit of emotion in it, we know who the writer, what they were thinking, what they were feeling at the time. It becomes really real and it becomes tangible and it settles so much better within us. So read the Bible contextually. It's also important to do that because it can be easy sometimes to take scriptures or even you know, verses or little portions of verses out of context when we don't actually appreciate when, how they were written and who they were written to and what the circumstances were, it can be easy for us to take little portions of scripture and apply it to situations that it wasn't really intended to be used for. And I don't know about you, but I hate being taken out of context. I hate being misunderstood. And I'm sure God doesn't appreciate that either. So let's make sure that when we're using his word, we're getting the true message and the true meaning behind it. Let's go digging for that and making sure that we're using the Bible as it's intended to be used. Um, And my fourth uh, suggestion, and this is the one I'm struggling with and processing at the moment, is to read the Bible reflectively reflectively, to meditate on the word of God, to make time to actually chew it over, to ask yourself, what do you really believe about this bit of the Bible that you've just read? What do you really think about it? How can it or should it maybe change your life in some way? Practically, do you need to do something to outwork this piece of scripture? Chew on it meditate on it maybe get a journal and jot some things down some thoughts down and it might be that you need to come back to it again and again and again over several different sittings several different years even you know you might need to keep coming back to same scriptures again let it meditate uh, let yourself meditate on it Greg Oden says to meditate on scripture is to allow the truth of God's word to move from head to heart It is to so dwell upon a truth that it becomes a part of our being. That's what I want. I want scripture to be a part of my being. And the only way to do that is to dwell, to meditate, to chew on that food for ourselves. So spend time doing that. These are just kind of, like I said, just four things that I've I've thought of, things that might help you in your Bible reading. Maybe ask yourself today, is there just one of those areas maybe that you can apply or something that you can grow in um, to deepen your Bible reading and to move into that next step? I'm aware of the time. So, so just to finish this morning, I want to share this scripture with you. It's 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. And I think this uh, sums everything up, really. It says, All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. If I can leave you with anything this morning, I want to leave you with that, that image, that picture, that when you next open your Bible whether that's your paper Bible, wherever you open the pages to, whether that's when you open the app on your phone, I want you to imagine this sound. (sighs) 
I want you to imagine the breath of God coming out of that book, coming out of that screen. Imagine the pages rustling. Maybe imagine your hair blowing with the breath of God, which would be lovely and minty and fresh, I'm sure, by the way. The breath of God, I'm sure, would be so sweet smelling. Um, but imagine that. Have that image because that's, that's what it is. It is the breath of God. It is God breathed. It is his communication directly to you. And it says here that the purpose of the Bible, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training. So sometimes it's not always comfortable when we read the Bible. Sometimes it shows us and highlights us areas where we need to grow and develop. But what is the purpose of it? The overall purpose, the overall promise that we get when we read scripture is in these last couple of words. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you read scripture, when you let God breathe on you through his word, you become equipped for every good work. So this week, when you pick up that Bible, when you open it, when you read, have that attitude that God is equipping you. He's so good. He's so wise. He knows what you're facing at the moment. He knows what you're going to face in the next season and the next season and the next season. So let God equip you now through his word for that. I'm going to pray if that's all right and then we'll, we'll worship together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the living word, which is the Bible. God, I thank you for the gift that it is to us. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us um, empty-handed, Lord, that you've equipped us with, with your Holy Spirit, but you've equipped us with this tangible word of yours as well, God. God, I pray that we would stir up a hunger within us for your word whether that's for the first time or as a refreshing Lord, that you would stir a hunger with us, a desire within us to read your word and to gain your truth for ourselves, Lord. God, I thank you that your word is the truth. Your word is dependable. Your word is unshakable. And I thank you for the foundation that that is that we can build our lives upon. God, I pray that you would speak to us this week through our Bible reading. I pray that you would reveal truth to each and every one of us. I pray that you would speak into our circumstances, that you would equip us for what we're facing and what we're going to face in the, the seasons to come through reading your word, God. And I pray that we would go from strength to strength, deeper and deeper in relationship with you as our relationship with your word strengthens and deepens. In Jesus' name, amen.